0: You are listening to The Gateway Church, located in Farrisburg, Michigan. You can learn more about us by visiting thegateway.church or like and follow us on Facebook, where you can watch full services, keep up with all that is going on, and get connected. It is great to be back. And a couple weeks ago, we rolled out a new series that's going to last probably uh, eight or nine weeks called The Pursuit of Happiness. How many of you want to be happy? Come on, let me see your hands. If, you're, if your hand's not up, you're not breathing. Come on. I mean, we, you want to be happy. You want to be fulfilled. And with the pursuit of happiness, what we're studying, what so, we're studying what some people call the constitution of the kingdom. It's found in the Sermon on the Mount, which was found in the first part of Matthew. And it's in the beginning part of this sermon that's called the Beatitudes. Did I just say that? Anyway, it's not a list of things to do. It's not like you're like, this is what you do, and you just check them off the list. What we're talking about over these next several weeks and have been is how we should live, the things we should be. And Jesus does something incredible. He pronounces eight powerful blessings that will come if you understand what we're supposed to be. It's kind of like a prescription for living. If you want to be fulfilled, you want to be satisfied in, your, in life, you want to be blessed, you want to be happy, These are the things you need to be. And all along the way, all throughout, each of these blessings uh, start with the word blessed. And let's just talk about that. Though We said a couple weeks ago that the word blessed there in the Greek was makarios. And you can go back and listen to the significance of that. But what that word blessed means is not just normal blessed, but supremely blessed or supremely happy. And in each case, all eight of these Beatitudes, when Jesus said blessed, I just envision in my mind, he's up on the hill. I I see the people kind of leaned in like, oh, I want to hear this. I want to know more about that. And so let's just practice that here. So when I say blessed, you just kind of lean in. Blessed. No, I mean it, really, lean in. Yeah, yeah, come on. All right, here we go. Blessed. Leaning in, and then Jesus does the unthinkable. He he lays down these eight bombs, so to speak. Instead of saying, you know, what the world might say, oh, this is what blessed is, he says the destitute, the losers, the oppressed, (laughs) those that are under judgment, those are the ones that are supremely blessed. And the people are like, what? What? Did we hear that right? They lean in, and when he says blessed, and Jesus says the ones that don't get what they deserve, the ones who are not good enough, the ones who put themselves at risk, the ones being persecuted are the ones being supremely blessed. And again, the things that the world rejects, let's face it, the things you and I, we run from, we, none of us want those things, but actually those are the things that lead to fulfillment to satisfaction that lead to makarios, blessed. And we find those in Matthew chapter 5. Turn with me there. Matthew chapter 5. I love this. The Beatitudes are so great. Let's start in verse 1. Jesus, when he saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside. Can you just picture with me, Jesus? kind of going up on the mountain a little bit, having a seat, right? It says he sat down, the disciples come to him, the people, the Jewish people there, they kind of surround him, and he began to teach. Can you imagine what it would be like to hear Jesus speak these words? And he starts by saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Let me just pause there. I believe this is the perfect sermon because Jesus was perfect, and he starts with the poor in spirit. And three, uh, I guess two weeks ago we talked about the poor in spirit means a spiritual condition, our lostness, that without we are without hope without Jesus. The big takeaway a couple weeks ago was that that we needed to have a total dependency on God, that we are bankrupt without Him. And our happiness comes from an intimate, ongoing relationship with Jesus. Amen? And that's where it starts. And then verse 3, or verse 4, it goes on. It says, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And last week, Rocky Nichols hit it out of the park and, and uh, talked about mourning. When I studied this, um, I, the grieving here is the grieving over our lostness. So it's a progression. We understand our depravity, that we're bankrupt spiritually. We grieve over that, and we're blessed when we grieve because God comes close. He's the one that brings comfort. He's the one that brings the Makarios. And then in the next verse, five, that we're going to focus on today it says, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you're going to just help us in these next few moments to get our mind around these few thoughts. And I pray that you would just break through. Lord, even as it's raining, we hear the rain uh, on the rooftop. Lord, rain down your power and your presence and illuminate the Scripture. Use me as a tool. Lord, we thank you for this. God, you're doing a great work. Help us, Lord, to learn this beatitude today and put it into practice. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I think that in order to understand this particular beatitude, we need a little historical context. And each week we've done this a little bit, but for the original hearers, those that were listening to Jesus on the mountainside, what would they have heard? They were a bunch of Jewish people, most likely, and for them, they knew what it meant to be afflicted. They were under the occupation of the Romans, and the Romans ruled by force. They they were known for double dipping on taxes. They were known for ruling with a sword, and they would lead by bloodshed and kind of uh, conquer and take things by bloodshed. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. In fact, it's interesting, one commentator mentioned that there would be, uh, the Romans would put, crucified Jews. They'd pull them out to the side of the road and leave them there for days just to make a spectacle, saying, hey, we are in charge. And the Jews are hearing this, and they're saying, blessed are the meek, They will inherit the land or they'll inherit the earth. Of course, if you know your scripture, which I didn't know this, but uh, you might know this, if you go back to Psalm 37 verse 11, uh, Jesus is pulling an Old Testament uh, psalm in, in in this pronouncement, this beatitude. But the people are saying, no, blessed are the meek. I'm not sure that's how it works. What we see is that those that take control by force, by bloodshed, they're the ones that are in control. They're the ones that inherit the land. And the original hearers, again, would have just been shaking their heads like, I don't understand this. This does not make sense. So let's talk about the word, word meek for a moment. What does it mean to be meek or meekness? In our culture today, 2019, we don't use the word meek all that often. You may read it in a book or you may think of like the elderly neighbor, someone soft-spoken or mild-mannered, someone that may be even weak or a pushover or a doormat. And I would say it's hard to identify what meek means in our culture because we just don't use this term. When you go to a job interview and you, you're, you're looking for a job, one of the questions is not, well, are you meek? Or give me an example how you're meek. If someone said that, you might sit there for a while thinking, huh, I, I don't even know what that means. Or around your house, you're raising kids, you're saying, you know, son, daughter, I wish you were just a little more meek. And they're thinking, you know, what are you talking about, Dad, right? Or if you're looking for a mate, how many single men and women do we have in the house? If I asked you to list out 10 things that you're looking for in a potential mate, my guess is if it was unsolicited, meekness might not make that list. Again, because we don't use this word very much. All the guys in the house, let me see your hands. Let me just see. Come on, hands up. All the guys in the house. Now, now, if I said, guys, how many of you want to be meek? All the macho guys in the house, would be looking around like, I know I should say yes, but I'm not sure. Like, should I? Should I not? Right? Meek. Because we often think meekness means weakness. And it absolutely doesn't mean that. In fact, meekness is not weak. It's not being a pushover or having a lack of strength. What meekness means is authority or power or strength, even Fame under control. Strength under control. Everyone say that with me. Strength under control. As I was studying this and I was talking about it with the staff, Pastor Bobby said, you know, it's kind of like a stallion. If you take a horse that that is kind of wild and, and it has not been trained, there's a lot of power there. There's a lot of strength. But a horse, a stallion without training is out of control and can be destructive and can actually be dangerous and is not very useful. How many know what I'm talking about? Well, you put a little bit in their mouth. You put a bridle around their head. And what happens to that stallion with time is that strength is channeled. And I love the word picture here. And that horse becomes useful. It becomes a display of beauty. The second horse there that's been trained is a picture of meekness. Again, strength under control. Meekness is not weakness. It's not some mamsy-pamsy thing. It's not being a coward. It's strength under control. And there's some examples in Scripture that I think we want to highlight. In fact, there's three pictures here, three people that we want to look at real quickly. The first one is Joseph, Old Testament. Joseph, early on, he hears from God. He sees his dream that his brothers are going to bow down to him. And instead of keeping his mouth shut, he shares the dream. How many remember the story, right? He shares the dream. His brothers are like, you're an idiot, and uh, we're going to take care of you. They wanted to kill him. But then one of the brothers said, well, let's not kill him. Let's just sell him and, and get rid of him. And so they sell him off, and they, they, they go. And, and really, that's a, a result of the lack of control in Joseph's life. If he would have controlled his tongue and just been quiet, he probably would have been okay. Not so meek there. You're saying, well, is this an example of meekness? Well, but later on, over time, Joseph is put into a place. He's interpreting dreams. He gets kind of raised up within the kingdom, gets a position. A famine hits the land, but God had revealed to, to Joseph to plan well. And he sets up Egypt in the, the kingdom there for success. That when people came to him, that they would provide, and and it it was a really cool thing. Well, his brothers, the ones that had sold him into slavery, come back. They didn't know that it was Joseph that was passing out the grain. But in that moment, Joseph, of course, recognized his brothers. And he had a choice. He could have riled up, flexed his muscles, He could have put those guys in jail. He could have killed them. And we would have probably said, good for them, good for him. But instead, Joseph displays an incredible amount of control and love. And he brings his brothers in, and he doesn't throw them under the bus. He cares for them. Joseph, in that story, in that portion, shows incredible meekness. Another story is, another person that we can look to is Moses. Early on, Moses was raised in privilege. You know the story. He was best schooling. He was raised in Pharaoh's house, right? And around 40 years of age, he had a lot of authority, and he walks out, and he sees one of his fellow Hebrews, because he was a Hebrew himself, being beaten by one of the Egyptians, being, you know, saying, come on, get to work. And, and Moses takes things into his own hands. And it's not a really a picture of meekness at all. He takes the Egyptians' life. You say, well, I thought we were talking about meekness. Well, 40 years later, after God says, you know, you need to get your authority under control, Moses, 40 years wandering in Numbers chapter 12, Moses up against another situation that is very difficult. He's experiencing opposition. There's a, there's people against him and. I think people are talking against him, and you can read the story there in the context. And what does it say in Numbers chapter 12? It says that Moses was meek. It doesn't use that word, but it says here, Moses was very humble, verse 3, more humble, which is a tie to meekness, than anyone else on the face of the earth. And as you read that story, Moses could have, at that point, riled up, flexed his muscles, so to speak, and said, hey, I'm in charge and he doesn't, and he keeps his mouth shut, and he doesn't get cranky. Moses is meek. He's humble. Those two examples give me a lot of hope. I was thinking about it. In both cases, young Joseph, young Moses, a little bit out of control. I'm thinking young Ben Vey. hmm, a little out of control maybe sometimes. But as they matured, as they grew, they grew in meekness. And what I would like to say is that we can grow in this. It's not too late for any of us that are here. We can learn this. So we look at Joseph. We look at Moses. We look there because there are other examples in Scripture. But when we think of meekness, who should we think about? Who, what's the right answer here? It's always it's like the Sunday school answer. Everyone, who should we be thinking about? Jesus, that's right. You know, when you ask your kid, you know, what did you talk about today in Sunday school? What's always the right answer? Jesus, that's right. And Jesus is always the right answer. And there's no doubt about it. Jesus was meek. The same word that was used in the Beatitudes that he used was used to describe him in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1. Jesus was described as humble and gentle. That word gentle means meek. In Colossians chapter 1, in fact, I want you to turn with me there. Colossians chapter 1, verse 20. It's interesting, the culture there. Remember, as I shared, they were used to those that were in authority would take their authority by force. By bloodshed. The Romans, were they would rule by the sword, right? And uh, let's start in verse 19. It says, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Jesus, and through Jesus to reconcile himself to all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace. What's different about Jesus? He made peace. He he brought uh, peace and really prosperity through his blood. Not through the blood of others, but by His blood shed on the cross. Again, the Romans were used to taking by force. That's what was to be expected. The blood of others. But Jesus, we see it was His blood. He was meek and He laid down His own life. It's interesting, in Matthew chapter 27, Jesus is on trial before Pilate. There's so many examples of his meekness, but here's a great one. He's asked straight up, are you the king of the Jews? And in verse 12, it says, when he was accused by the chief priests and the elders, he gave no answer. He was quiet. He was gentle. He was meek. It says, then Pilate asked, Don't you hear the testimony they are bringing against you? But Jesus made no reply, not even to a single charge, to the great amazement of the governor. Jesus was meek. He knew. Yes, he was in control. He had strength, but it was under control. See, Israel, the Jews, they were looking for a Messiah, a political Messiah superpower, a great politician, but Jesus on his triumphal entry, he doesn't come in on a great stallion, on a great horse like you'd expect. He came in on a donkey. Talk about meek. Jesus went, again, Matthew 27, he said, are you the king? Was he the king? Of course. Did he have all the power? Yes. But he was, in Isaiah chapter 53, 7, it was was, uh, prophesied that he would be oppressed and afflicted, which Jesus was, yet he did not open his mouth. He had strength under control. Tremendous strength on the cross. Could he have jumped off the cross? No doubt. But he was under control. And there's nothing more beautiful, church, than someone that has strength or power or authority. And it's under control. Only using their power when necessary. Not flexing all the time. But how many of you can think of someone or a situation where the opposite happened? It's actually, instead of being beautiful, of someone displaying meekness, when someone's not meek, when they're pushy or when they're demanding or self serving or they're domineering, it gets ugly and it gets ugly quick, doesn't it? In a marriage, in the government, in business, at the office, at home, a dad that gets demanding, uh, or you're going along the road and there's someone that's experiencing some road rage or you get upset in the fast food line or at a restaurant and all of a sudden you start to demand and you're the opposite of meek. How many know the opposite of meekness? It, It gets ugly quick. But meekness on the other side is a desirable trait. But there's a problem. As I studied this, and it's interesting, that we, there's none of us that are born with meekness. It's not a personality trait that we're talking about, and it can't be produced. You can't produce it on your own. It's like an apple can't produce an orange. You can't produce meekness on your own. If you've taken a personality test and you're gentle and kind-hearted, that's not what we're talking about. The distest or the Enneagram or any other personality, Myers-Briggs or any of the strength finders, if it talks about you know, meek, we're not talking about that. We're talking about a spiritual uh, condition here. And where does that spiritual condition, where does that meekness come from? It, the creator of it is God himself. Meekness is an attribute of God you got to know that meekness is an attribute of God. It's not a personality thing. It's a spirit thing. And turn with me to Galatians chapter 5. I want you just to see this for a second. Galatians chapter 5 verse 22 it's the spirit the fruit of the spirit the spirit of god where does it come from it's the spirit of god it goes on it says the fruit of the spirit is love joy peace forbearance kindness goodness faithfulness and then in verse 23 it says gentleness that word is the same word as meekness so you could say meekness and self control meekness and self-control. It's interesting, the progression here in the fruit of the Spirit. Meekness, and then it's followed by control, self-control. There's a gentleness, a strength that comes when we're meek, and it shows who's in control. I love it. It's like the stallion that we're talking about. Let's not be the wild, unbridled stallion that just tears up the landscape or tears up a marriage, or tears up the church, or tears up a business, or tears up the youth group, or or whatever the case might be. Instead, the idea is that the Holy Spirit would depict our actions. And when we submit to the Holy Spirit, and He helps us to be meek, it's beautiful. And it's beautiful not only here within our circles, if you're a believer, and you say, yeah, look what God is doing in so-and-so's life those that we rub shoulders with that don't know Christ yet. And it comes from the Holy Spirit. Meekness, controlling strength and direction, kind of like a dam, how a dam works the water and it controls it and it gives power. But it's only powerful when it's focused and it's given direction. You say, well, why would God want to give us this? attribute, this meekness? Well, it's part of the pursuit of happiness. The blessing, supreme happiness comes. If you're meek, according to Matthew chapter 5, verse 5, it says you will be blessed and you will inherit the earth. It's a huge pronouncement here. You will inherit the earth, the land, Property, So that up north property that you've always dreamed about. If you're meek, you're going to get it, right? Or that beachfront. You know, I'm thinking the most beautiful beach I've ever been to is in the Turks and Caicos Island. And I'm thinking, man, God, that's the piece of land that I want, right? Or that prime real estate downtown. Is that what this is talking about? When it says, what does it mean? For the meek will inherit the earth. That's a confusing phrase for most of us. And so I had to dig a little bit and to kind of understand this. I like what one, uh, one of the commentators said, and I I've, I've made some of his notes, and we're going to look at these here. There's five different things. He says, as an expression, uh, the inherit the earth, the following facts should be noted, and this is number one. Let's look at these. Number one, put it up there for me. It says, for God owns it all, right? God is the owner of this earth. We know this, right? We understand that God, hopefully you know this, God created everything. It's all His. Everything you see, everything we touch, everything is the Lord's. The earth is the Lord's. Everything is in it, right? And everything that's in it, right? We understand that. Psalm 24. Number two, though, it goes on. He, this commentator says that those who obey Christ become children of God in joint heirs with the Lord. Again, we're trying to understand what does it mean to inherit the earth. We know that the earth is the Lord's, but we are children of God. If we've accepted Christ, we're joint heirs with him. And so what the earth offers, we get a part of that. Number three, the Father supplies all our needs. How many say amen to that? God, He provides, right? And we, therefore, enjoy this earth and its blessings more than all others. As believers, we get the understanding, we get the, uh, the, the privilege of enjoying the earth, enjoying creation. Number four, he says, mainly, however, our inheritance is spiritual. And there's no doubt that there's a spiritual connotation here, a future, that we are heirs in the kingdom of Christ, right? And citizenship in that kingdom is available now on this earth. We bring heaven to earth. And so, yes, it's future for sure, but it's also in the present. We bring heaven to earth. And finally, number five, this culmination, commentator says, we also look for an inheritance that is reserved for us in heaven. 1 Peter 1.4. Because we are aware that the earth will be destroyed when Christ returns. And so we look forward to the day where we'll reign and rule with Christ forevermore. So we'll inherit the earth. We'll inherit a new heavens, new earth. As I was thinking about it, no matter where you land in these five things, it's all good. Amen? No matter how you slice it, the promise is that you will be blessed, you will be happy, you'll be makarios if you are meek. But for the original hearers, I don't think it was just a future blessing, a future of heaven. Think about it. If they're there, they're being oppressed. The original audience, they're, they're thinking, man, meekness, that doesn't make sense. And uh, if, if it was reserved only for heaven, that wouldn't have brought much comfort to the original hearers. You know what I'm saying? And so I think what Jesus is saying is when you're meek, when you're criticized, when you're critiqued, and you keep your mouth shut, when you respond with kindness, when you have a soft answer, when you're meek, when you have strength or an authority and it's under control, what Jesus is saying is, don't worry, you're going to get your fair share. God, he's looking out for your behalf. For they will, they will inherit the earth. But there's one other approach that kind of emerge in my study. One pastor said, could it be that there's something deeper going on here? And let's just back up and remind us remind ourselves of the sequence of what's happening. It says, "Blessed are the poor in spirit." That's those that are totally dependent on God, right? "Blessed are those who mourn, who grieve their lostness." So they're not only realize their lostness, their total dependency on God, they grieve that. And then the, mo- the meek, blessed are the meek, the third, in, is a control, where they give control over to God. Strength under control. And the promise is that they will inherit the earth. And when we say inherit the earth, the inherit means they'll have dominion over. And the earth there, in the Greek, it's funny, as I was listening to this pastor, he says, yeah, what does it mean in the Greek the, that the, the earth, it means dirt. And I'm like, okay, that's cool. And uh, so it's like, all right, so you'll have dominion over dust. Can you imagine? Like, doesn't that encourage your spirit? And and, I mean, like, think about it. But think about it. What are we created from, right? From the dust of the earth. And then the pastor makes the, this pastor makes the the illustration. He says, could it be that we will have dominion over the things that are ruling or controlling our lives? flesh, the sin. When we submit ourselves by the Holy Spirit, we're meek, we give control, we'll, we'll be blessed because we have taken dominion, we'll inherit the earth, we'll inherit, our, we'll take control over the flesh when we, no matter again how you slice it, when you're meek, you're going to be blessed, you're going to be happy. I was running this week with a friend and a couple of friends and we were talking about hey what you know what are you speaking on this week and it's telling about, about the series and I said yeah we're I'm talking about uh, the beatitudes and this week is blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. And it's funny one of my friends says hey that's my word for the year. And I was like oh that's cool. Uh, meek, meekness is your word for the year. Like he picks a word and like really kind of hones in on that for the year. And and so I said, so what have you learned so far this year? And my friend says, I've learned that I'm not so meek. He says, it's hard to be meek. And I was thinking, oh man, isn't that the case? Holy Spirit, help us to be meek. It's something we grow into. The Lord helps us. Where at one point in our life, we might be quick to fight, but all of a sudden, we're de-escalating fights. Or we may be quick to, to be angry and lose our temper or say things out of turn, but all of a sudden, we hold our tongue. Where there might be turmoil in our lives at one point, because we've grown in meekness, all of a sudden, there's a peace you can't even understand a peace that surpasses understanding. Doesn't that sound good? A meekness in your life, it will attract favor. It will provide promotion in your situation. As I was thinking about it, you know, who are those among us that are meek? Who is it? that we would look to and say, man, that's a picture of meekness. And I think of our elders for sure. Dennis Hardy is a meek man. He, he, he's, he's got a lot of authority, a lot of control, but, uh, but he, he's under control. There's not a lot that gets underneath his skin. Same with Bob Boss, our, our two elders. I think of Pastor Pale. He's here this uh, first service and uh, Pastor, we were, I was talking with you about, uh, earlier there, we, as we talk about meekness. Uh, here's a man that has a lot of authority, a lot of, lot of responsibility, a lot of power in, spiritually, just a spiritual giant, but it's under control. When I think of people that are meek, I think of people that are mature, those that we should be emulating our lives after, people that look like Jesus. And the Lord, he wants to help us to grow in this. He wants to challenge us. And just like Joseph and Moses, they may have started off and had some blips in their story. And my guess is you've had some blips in your story as well, but we can grow in this area. And the benefit of of growing in meekness, is not only futuristic, that yes, we inherit the land, we get the promised land, so to speak, we get heaven, but we also can bring heaven to earth. Amen? Let's pray. In fact, why don't you stand and let's pray. Lord, we thank you. Lord, we thank you that you are at work in us. And Lord, that we are works in progress. We're on the potter's wheel, so to speak. You're smoothing out the rough edges. Lord, you're helping us. Lord, you're putting us in the fire to make us stronger, to make us better. And Lord, you have called us to be your witness, and you've called us to to be an example, and God, I pray that we would grow in this attribute. Lord, that we would understand that this beatitude is absolutely worth putting the effort, putting the energy to understand, and God, I pray that as we set our hearts before you this morning in response, Lord, that you would help us to Think ahead and to understand that, that, Lord, meekness is really a pursuit after you, Jesus. And, God, that you would come alongside us, that you would help us in these things. We pray this all in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen, amen. I'm going to encourage you to lift your hands all over this place as we worship. Hallelujah. I love that song. I love the truth, the progression of who we once were and now who we are in Christ. And it's a journey, just like our journey towards Christ. It never ends. We are to be pursuing Jesus and his attributes to be growing in meekness. So why is it so important when we boil this all down down, not only is it attractive within the body of Christ when we see a picture of someone that's meek and has power, has authority but they're under control not flying off the handle not losing control of their tongue not losing control of their finances or I mean there's so many ways we can look at this but meekness is also attractive to an unbelieving world to those that you rub shoulders with on the job when you're meek you are a picture of Jesus now you're not going to be perfect all the time, but when you answer with control, when you hold your tongue, when you're kind when you could, could, you know, roast someone. When you spend your money in a proper way when you actually have it instead of going into debt. That's a picture of meekness. There's so many things. So many pictures that God wants us to get a hold of, and this is where my heart really settled this week, church. The reason we should be meek is so we can reach one more person, so that your example can reach one more. And I know I've been out of the pulpit for six weeks, and then I was back for a week, and then gone again, and and I'm back again. And my heart to reach this community has never been stronger. I want you to know that. But your pastor can't do it all on his own. I can't do it all on my own. Each of us need to have a passion to reach one more. And what that means is that we need to Be under control. One more thing before we go. I want to speak to those that you may have shown up this morning and you don't have a relationship with Jesus. And I'm not even sure why you're here today. Who brought you? Who invited you? Or what drew you? Maybe you've known Christ in the past, but you've been away and something just drew you here. In a group this size, the, the reality is that probably at least one or more that are away from Christ. That your relationship with God is not where it needs to be. I want to pray a prayer. Call it a sinner's prayer, a miracle prayer. It's a prayer of salvation. As I pray this, if you're saying, man, that's my prayer, I want you to just agree with me. Would you do that? Father, i sorry for the things I've done wrong. I'm sorry for the sin in my life. I believe that you died on the cross for me. And I'm putting my faith in you. Jesus, would you save me this morning? Would you take away my sin? Would you make my heart clean? That's what I need. Jesus, I pray that you would help me to live more like you. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Now, with all your eyes on me here just for a second, if you prayed that prayer and you were agreeing with me and you're saying, Pastor, that's my prayer, I'm coming back to the Lord or I'm accepting Christ this morning, would you just be bold enough just to raise your hand and I just want to celebrate with you? not going to embarrass you but before you leave we've got some resources, some next steps anyone this morning saying yep that's me, that, that was my prayer okay. let's just assume that no one accepted Christ this morning I want you to know that it is our heart our desire that there's not a service that goes by without someone coming back to the Lord or finding Christ for the first time We can say, man, that was great to be in church. That was awesome. And I'm talking to myself here as well. I promise you, next week will be even better if you had a friend that accepts Christ throughout the week or yet next week's service. Our call as believers is to live in such a way that we would facilitate truth and to reach one more. Turn to your neighbor and say, that's my job. It's my job. It's my job to reach one more. Lord, I pray that as we leave here, yes, we'll celebrate what you've done here today. We felt your presence. Lord, you've met us, and Lord, we've learned. But Lord, I pray that we will put what we've learned into practice as we go. We pray this all in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen and amen. God bless you. We love you. Thank you for being here. Go in the grace of God. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message from The Gateway Church. If you'd like to find out more about our church, such as service times, giving, and ways to get connected, visit us at thegateway.church.